I can't wait to introduce you to Maeve O'Byrne. But before I do, I'd like to invite you to set this intention with me. Every new chapter of life is a story we get to write. This episode is all about how to handle change as you enter life's third act. Not sure what the third act is? Have a listen to find out. Let's go meet Maeve. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. Maeve O'Byrne has lived a life of constant change, navigating three continents, five countries, and having four different careers to date. With over 25 years of experience in leadership roles, including serving as president and CEO of the Hospital Foundation on Vancouver Island, during which she was able to build two social enterprise businesses that diversified the Hospital Foundation's revenue and generated over half a million dollars in gross profit year over year while she was there. Maeve brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to her coaching practice. She's a sought-after speaker on topics such as succession planning, management, unconscious and implicit bias, diversity, equity, and inclusion, retirement and transition, and resilience. She has spoken at the ICF Converge Conference, the Association of Coach Trainers, and the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Maeve has a proven track record of helping companies increase employee engagement, boost morale, and improve productivity. Welcome to the show, Maeve. Thank you, Tara. I'm really excited and honored to be here. So I start off every episode with the same question. How full is your plate? Can you tell us everything that you're juggling at the moment? <laughs> well, the one thing I juggle constantly is that no day is the same as another. So I'm juggling individual coaching clients. I work with nonprofit groups as well. So either juggling schedules for retreats, workshops, and also putting together proposals for them. I am not an early riser, so my day usually starts at around 9, 9.30. And I also do quite a lot of volunteer work. My background is in nonprofit management. And of course, I say to people, you can take the girl out of the NGO, but you can't take the NGO out of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> so how I manage is really to set my schedule on Sunday night. I take about half an hour and look at what's on my plate, what's coming up and allowing time for something to pop into my radar or for somebody to ring me and ask for something extra. So yeah, it's pretty full. So but you, I love it that way. Yeah. It sounds like you plan ahead to be able to handle unexpected things being dropped onto your plate. Yes, very much so. I've learned over the years that I need to set aside some quiet time. And if something unexpected doesn't pop in, then it's a bonus. I have that time to do something else. Yeah. That's amazing. And how do you make time for yourself? It sounds like you spend a lot of your time serving others. <laughs> yes, I have learned over the years, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, that I need to take time for myself. I'm an introvert as well, so I get my energy from being on my own. 
And so I'm quite rigorous about one day a week, usually a Saturday, where I actually have no electronics around me. I turn off my phone, I turn off computers, etc. Often I'm outside, but that's my day for me. And then I also have a background in fashion design many years ago. And so I love to play with fabric and wool. And I make sure that every day I have set time aside, it's usually in the evening, to do something creative. I have to take care of my health. And so I do listen to my body quite a lot. And the beauty of working independently, as you know, is that if I have to take a break or a rest, I can come back to the work later that day or the next day. That's lovely. I am an introvert as well. <laughs> so do you ever feel overwhelmed or stressed? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is um, that first clue that you're starting to feel stressed or overwhelmed? How do you know it's coming on? Well, I have a chronic disease. I have fibromyalgia. And so usually it's something in my body, usually my back or funnily enough, the soles of my feet that start to ache. And sometimes, you know, I don't think about it and then suddenly, oh, I've got to become more aware. And so when I do that, I start looking at what I've been doing to myself. Or I may just have this overwhelming tiredness. And when that happens, I have to sit down and relook at my day, my week, and what I've been putting on my shoulders and where I can let go of stuff. My health is something I'm responsible for. And so I really need to safeguard it. And so stress makes it worse. And you didn't always have the flexibility to be able to rest when you needed to rest and work when you felt energized to work. You were the CEO of a hospital. A hospital foundation, yes. So I was running a $4 million business and it was not just a fundraising organization. We also had a couple of social enterprises. And so it was really difficult for me to juggle everything. Plus I was a single parent to two young boys. And looking back, there were indicators that I should have taken control of that were telling me my health was deteriorating and deteriorating quite rapidly and quite badly. So I would say to anyone, listen to your body very much. What occurred was that my whole system collapsed and I had to take some time off work and redefine what was important in my life and how I was going to manage both parts of my life and how I was going to set boundaries. And when you look back on that time in your life, would you say it was a wake-up call, a gift, a rock bottom? How would you describe it? I think it was both a wake-up call and then became a gift. You know, the wake-up call was, here I was, the most important role I saw myself as the mum of two young boys. And if I really wanted to be in their lives as they got older, I needed to start looking after myself. And then it was a gift because it made me look after myself. It made me really decide what was important in my life. And also it gave me the opportunity to demonstrate to my kids what was important in our lives and that those personal relationships 
and our health were really the number one priority for me. And they could learn and see how I managed both a very busy work schedule, but also my own health and their needs. That's beautiful. And one of the things that you probably had to learn at the time was how to manage your stress now that your plate had kind of been toppled over. What has been the biggest stress reliever for you? Actually, it's really interesting. Meditation has been huge in my life. And so that has been probably the biggest reliever. And then coming with the meditation has been really looking at and reviewing my habits, what I put into my mouth, how I'm taking care of my exercise regime, and also, as I said, prioritizing myself and learning to grow into a more assertive individual, you know, setting boundaries and saying no. You know, I have been known to go out into the world and want to change it. And (laughs) I had to stop that thought process. And it was funny, I came down to see my 22-year-old son at the time, one day when he had come home, and he is a professional athlete, a rugby player. And I walk into his room, and he's sitting quietly on his bed, legs crossed, and I thought, oh, I wonder what's happening. And so I left him, and when he came up, I asked him what he was doing, and he said, oh, I meditate every day, mum. I visualize what might happening in my day and how I'm going to play my game. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I asked him, where did you learn that? And it was, oh, from watching you. Which was really affirmative for me that in taking care of myself and this gift that I had been given, I was able to also teach them. So meditation, reflection, journaling, I would say, are the top three things that I've done. And from there, I've been able to change my habits. I love that story about your son. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. Children are always watching the adults around them, whether it's their parents or other adults. And they pay closer attention to what you're doing rather than what you're saying. Yes, very much so. And it was really great. And he still does that, that he did that and that he did it without being self-conscious. You know, he lived in a house of rough and tumble boys and said, no, this is what I do. That's so great. And you also have a coaching program now that helps women thrive in their third act for individuals and couples. And it's built on the premise of living 25 to 30 years longer than the past generation's. And so could you describe for our listeners what that third act is? So the third act is what we call retirement or looking forward to retirement. We look at life in actually four acts. The first being those first 20 years, the nature nurture period of our life, when, you know, we grow up in the household, the country, the cultures, we have our parents telling us what to do, our teachers informing us. So we're dependent on others to grow and build that personality of the person we will become. And then the second act is those years from maybe 25 to 50, 55, 65, when life takes over, we're building a career, we may be having a family, we're developing new skills, constantly learning, and often others are dependent on us. The third act is really 
the time from that 55, 60 year old where there are no structures in place. We've got this new gift of time that our grandparents and our great grandparents never had. And so it is really time to look inward and look at who we are and what we are. And many people go into their third act thinking about, do I have enough money to live for the next 20? A lot of people don't think about that it's going to be 20 or 30 years. And I say that's backwards. What we should be looking at is what do we want to do in those years, these last 20, 30 years? How do we want to feel both physically and emotionally? And then look at the financial aspect of it. So it's really how do we feel today? And what do we need to do to ensure good health, physical, emotional, spiritual, as we move forward into these elder years? And what drew you to helping with this transition in life? What drew me was when I decided to leave the hospital foundation, that age 55, I had to sort of think about what next. And a friend of mine in Ireland that I used to run with many years ago said, oh, you've got to meet this other friend of mine. And so I met Ed and he at the same time was thinking about the next phase of life. He was thinking not just about the individual, but what impact socially and environmentally is going to take place with the baby booner generation moving into this third act. Because I don't know about the States, but I know in Canada within the next couple of years, we're going to have more people over the age of 65 than we do under 14. So it's going to be wow. a huge, yes. So socially, that's going to be a huge impact. And so Ed was telling me about this idea he had. And I said, oh, pick me, pick me. You know, I can be one <laughs> of the guinea pigs. <laughs> and so he sent me the program, which, you know, he was doing in Ireland at the time on a group forum. And I worked my way through it. You know, what do I want to do next? You know, I had certified as a coach many years before. I had worked a lot with the Indigenous people here in Canada, and then I had worked a lot with people changing careers. And having gone through the program, I thought, this is what I want to do. This is great because I'm a coach. I love coaching. I love seeing people seeing clarity and making changes. And I've gone through this, so who better positioned to do this type of work than somebody who's actually going through it themselves? So that was sort of how I came about it. And what specific challenges do you see people having as they enter into their third act that they may or may not be aware of? Oh, I think confusion. I think lack of clarity of what their third act is going to be. I've put it out there a couple of times. I've questioned people about what they're afraid of as they move into the third act. And funnily enough, many women fear the financial aspect of their third act and then also their mental health. That's a big challenge for them. And sometimes our fears stop us from actually seeking clarity. Many people think, oh, well, I'm going to golf seven days a week, every day. This is going to be great. And that's as far as their planning goes. Or they say, oh, I'm going to be able to travel without thinking about, will I be healthy enough to travel? What happens if 
something occurs, how am I going to fill my time, time that I usually spent in work? Who am I going to meet socially? So I have a person I worked with moving forward into retirement or her third act. And one of the questions I asked her was, who do you socialize with? Where do your friends come from? And it turned out that 95% of the people she socialized with were work colleagues. And so I asked her how many colleagues that had retired in the previous three years she kept in touch with. And so that was a huge aha moment for her because she realized that in the next two years, she needed to build her social circle so that she had people to rely on and to socialize with and to have fun with when she did retire from her corporate job. It also got her thinking about what else she could do in the volunteer field or in the work field. Could she take on some contract work in her specialized field? And what would that look like? You know, the biggest barrier is people think that it's all going to be sunshine and roses. Or there's a fear and they don't want to step into that fear and say, okay, what's this all about? And how can I deal with it? And what do I need to put into place to go into this next phase of life with joy? People really think it's too late sometimes to change as well. They're comfortable in their current life. They don't want to think about the implications of what's next. And they get there and, you know, we hear about these people who retire and within two years, they're dead because they're no longer important. I had one gentleman at a session I gave who was 58 and he was really depressed because he had gone to apply for some part-time work and at 58 had been told to go home. He was an old man. So it's really sort of taking the time to figure out what next to figure out what that life would look like, to look at what perhaps were our dreams, either in that first act or second act, and how could we perhaps explore them further? I think you bring up a really good point talking about fear. And when people say it's too late to change, I hear that from people of all ages. And I think you're really just telling yourself it's not a priority for me to change right now. Your brain is tricky when it comes to fear and telling you that you're afraid. It doesn't say, hey, you're scared of doing this, so you should probably do it. It says, maybe it's too late to change or something mm -hmm. like that, that is a little bit harder to decipher. Yes, yes, very much so. I mean, I've just written a blog about fear and it's so interesting. You know, when I look back at what stopped me doing some things in my life, it was all around fear of change and being comfortable and saying, oh, it's not absolutely necessary that I do this or I do that. And so change is something I now embrace and I examine and reflect on, okay, what's coming up for me? Because change happens. There's nothing we can do about the fact that change is constant. What we can do is look at how we work with change. So we can either let change manage us or we can manage change. I love that. And it's a choice, right? To it choose is. change. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To look at the opportunity that change brings too. Right. And so when people choose to work with you to embrace the third act and improve their quality of life, what do they typically come and ask you for help with? Is there something that is the initial 
thing that they're like, this is what I need? Often it's, they say to me, I saw your website or I saw this article and you're talking about what next. And that really resonated with me. They're looking for clarity. As I said earlier, I think in our first and second act, we have structures. We know what we're supposed to do, what we can do. There are structures in place. When we go into our third act, it's okay, bye now. There you go. Off you go. There are no structures. And when you're used to working within the structure, it's confusing. It's difficult. And many people feel lost. I don't know what to do. So I think a lot of what I hear from them in different ways is help me find clarity in the next phase of my life. So for our listeners who might be tuning in, having that same question, what are some steps they can take on their own today that can help bring clarity into their life for years to come? I think one of the first things is to think about how they want to feel, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. So one of the first things I do with clients is I ask them when was the last time they had a full physical. So that's a starting point for them as to where they stand physically right now. And then once they've got that, we look at what do they need to change to be able to move into this next phase of their life in the best health they can. So that's one thing your listeners can do is look at where you are in your physical health and think about how you want to feel 10 years, 20 years or 30 years from now. Just this week, we heard Kirk Douglas died at 103. And that man had such a great outlook in life, but also great physical health. And that's really where we all want to be. We all want to reach our 80s and feel good. Or do we want to look into our 80s and see ourselves tied to multiple medications and multiple you know, tubes, etc.? It's really, again, a choice. What do we need to change physically, even if it's walking an extra 15 minutes a day or instead of eating my habit, that chocolate bar, we have a piece of fruit. That's one of the things. And then, you know, the other piece, I think, is to think about you've got, I calculated 30 years is 10,500 and something days, which seems a lot less than 30 years. So it's really, what do you want to do in this time? How do you want to make your mark? You've got the opportunity. There are no restraints. How do you want to move forward? What would that dream look like? Think about yourself in 10 years' time. What do you want to have accomplished? So I often say, and your listeners can do this, is really sit down and dream about 10 years from now, where do you want to be? How do you want to feel? What do you want to be doing? And also look at your emotional support, your support system. Are people there in place to help you and to support you? And if not, what can you do to build that circle, to build that circle of friends or reconnect with family? Those are really important. Our physical and mental health work in tandem, and we really need to spend more time understanding that. So I think for listeners, it's really looking at your current physical health and thinking about what you want to change to make sure that you move into the future with optimal health. Look at your social circle, those people who support you. How can you either 
enlarge it, build it further, or you know, what else do you need? And then also look back at who you were in your first 20 years, the first act of your life, and the values that you grew up with, that you hold on to. Are there any of those values that don't serve you anymore? And can you drop them? And what are the new values that you hold dear? Do you have a purpose? What is it that you're looking to achieve? Is there a legacy that you'd like to leave? What is that? There's lots of little things that people could do. An exercise I often do with people is a river of life. You know, the start of their life at zero, where they are now. And, you know, all of the boulders are the barriers that came in. Maybe some of the waterfalls are things that they skimmed along. Maybe some of the deep pools are things they lost or regret. And build that river and then look to the future. Where do you want that river to go? I love that exercise. Just listening to you talk, I can feel like your background in Reiki and everything coming through in your voice. It's so relaxing. (laughs) Thank you. Imagining what my river would look like. And I also think you've talked a lot about what to do right now, how to look at the past, how to look at the present. And I think another thing that you and I talked about before this interview started was also looking at the future. And while research shows that people who live like they have six months to live and they live every day to the fullest and cross things off their bucket list actually live longer, we are all moving closer to dying every day. And it's something that a lot of us don't want to talk about. But (laughs) I know that it's something that's still an important conversation to have at least once in your life with that support system about what you would want to happen in those final moments if you weren't able to make decisions for yourself and you needed someone to make decisions for you on your behalf. Could you share with our listeners a little bit about that? This is a conversation I actually really enjoy. I love it. And I often say, particularly when you have children, that talking to your children about your wishes is so important. Because I had two boys, I used the case of what I did, which is like talking to my boys about sex, I talked to them about death. I put them in the car and we went for a drive. It was really important to me that they understand what I wanted. Throughout my time with my boys, because I've been their single parent for basically most of their life. My youngest was two when I became a single parent. I've written letters to them that I keep in a binder and I've told them where all of my important documents are. So they know there's a living will. There are these letters that they haven't read that they will get to read that have covered certain parts of their lives. They have all my passwords in there, you know, the birth certificates, the documents, etc. I'm a dual citizen, so they've got all of those documents relating to my Irish heritage and my new Canadian life. And they know where that is. So for me, it's been incredibly important to have that conversation because in my previous life as a CEO of a hospital foundation, I saw so many families divided because they hadn't had a conversation about mortality. 
they hadn't known what the wishes of the loved one had been, and they were in disagreement with how to proceed forward. I know the laws are different in our two countries and they're different in Europe as well, but here you can have the do not resuscitate if a person goes into the emergency. So having all those documents and having at least one person in your life that knows where they all are and what to do is incredibly important. I believe it's one of the most important discussions you can have with loved ones. I agree. And working in the hospital for much of my career as well, that was one of the most difficult questions for people to answer after a tragedy. It was, what would this person who's now unwell want to have done? Would they want you to do everything or would they not be okay with certain things? Like you mentioned earlier, having tubes or not being able to walk again. How would they feel about those being the outcomes of doing everything to save them. Exactly. And I actually have a list that I've built that I can send to you and you can put under this if you wish. I've sent it to people in the US as well as Canada, and it covers, I believe, most of the laws as well in the US. I've had a couple of legacy clients. That's how I label them, who are dying and want to leave something in their world. And one of them actually did pass away during our contract period. And her sister rang me sometime later and said that was the best thing she could have done for herself was to hire you as a coach because everything was in order except for the one important item. And I was sort of going, oh, oh what? what was missed she said we didn't have her password to her computer oh, and no. she paid all. and everything was on her computer exactly so i've added that to the list so i do <laughs> i added the list every now and then when somebody comes up with something like that but it was oh yeah i didn't think about that because of course i've printed everything <laughs> Right. It's that technology and everything is always changing around us and having to adapt to the way things are now, even though they're different than they've always been. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's another There's great tool. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the five wishes. No, I haven't. That's one that we use that in the hospital. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's one that we recommended to people. Oh, I have to look that one up. It sounds lovely too. Yeah. It might give you another glimpse into what it's like in the U.S. as well. Exactly. But after people work with you, not all of them are at the end of life. Some of them are at the very beginning of their third act. So how do people mm -hmm. generally know that they've made it or they've graduated from your program? They know there's still more work to come. That's one of the things, but they have clarity about how they're moving forward or where they want to go. You know, we start with the end in mind. So my sessions always say, what do you want to get out of this? What are you looking for right now? And we do a lot of deep work at the beginning to really solidify what it is that they're looking for. And usually when they finish the program, they have a plan to move forward. They have already adopted some new habits and have found a way to keep themselves accountable. And they feel the change within them. They feel that, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Now I know where I'm going. 
you know, I still keep in touch with Ed and I asked him, have any of his clients, because he started a few years before me, he said, yeah, they've had clients come back after five years and say, okay, I need sort of an update, a refit. I'm halfway in my plan and I need to change it a bit. So they realize, okay, I want to shift somewhat. So really there's a plan, there's clarity about where they're going and there are new habits that they've adopted to ensure better health, whether it's physically, mentally, or spiritually. That sounds so lovely. And you're helping so many people. Mm. And, you know, from my perspective, it was such a help. It was just so good because I knew I could never just sit and do nothing. And it was important to me, like many of my clients, women clients, there was a concern about finance because I have a son who's an athlete in a sport that's not as popular here as in Europe. And I have a son who's a musician. And so I look at them and I say, you know, where's the son that will be able to keep me in my old age? And their response is, you told us to follow our passion, mum. We're following our passions. So for me, it was that concern about finance as well that drove me, plus the knowledge that if I didn't actually work, I would probably be taking on a lot more voluntary work. And I wanted that balance, which I have now. Well, on that note, as we wind down the interview, I always end with some rapid fire questions where I just want to have some fun and hear what is the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. What does it mean to feel successful? Being content with myself and seeing the results my clients get seeing the joy in those that I work with. I think that's really success for me. What is something you've accomplished that you're most proud of? I think my kids are really an accomplishment for me. They would hate that because they are following their passions. But I think also for me, I was always very conscious that I didn't have a master's. I had a certificate in fashion design. So getting my master's was really a great accomplishment and developing my practice, developing the work I do right now. And what are you most looking forward to this year? Business growth and being able to support more women and men, but mainly more women moving and transitioning into their third act. And what advice would you give to your younger self? <gasps> not to be so afraid, not to be so afraid to use your voice to push forward, to be assertive. What's your favorite book or resource? If you came into a house, there are so many books, but <laughs> I think the one I would, I know it's terrible. Right now I'm reading or rereading John Kabat-Zinn's four books on mindfulness. So I love those. And I read a small piece before I do my meditation every morning. The one I would recommend to everybody, I think, is The Art of Flourishing. A Guide to Mindfulness, Self-Care, and Love in a Chaotic World by Jeffrey B. Rubin, PhD. And the last one, <laughs> the last question is, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Via email, moburn, O-B-Y-R-N-E, at cohesiveconcepts.ca. Wonderful. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Maeve. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you. It was really exciting and a bit nerve-wracking, but it's been such a joy. And thank you. Your questions are really deep and it was lovely to speak with you.
I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you want to let me know what you'd like to hear about on the show, DM me on Instagram at Tara Ray Bradford. And if you want to check out the links and everything from this show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Thank you all so much for listening in. I super appreciate you. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already. And leave us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts to help more high achievers like you find the show. Also, I have to tell you about Maeve's Transition to Joy free video training about how to give yourself permission to be happy even though the world is chaotic. Head on over to Maeve's website, cohesiveconcepts.ca slash transition to joy and find out how you can gain instant access to the training for free. I'll link to the training in the show notes, just in case you didn't have a pen handy. And you can find those at handleeverything.com. Thank you again to Maeve for being on the show. And thank you to everyone listening in. You're amazing. And I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. By the way, if you haven't listened to episode eight yet, it's an episode from Faye Zenoff about open recovery from addiction during the pandemic. I think you'd really like it. Plus, it's one of my most downloaded episodes right now. Head on over to handleeverything.com to check it out. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com.